Welcome back to At The Buzzer. I'm your host, Angela Biner. Join along with my co-hosts, Campbell Klein, Dean McCollum, and Tyler Fertel. We have another super exciting episode for you today that includes a quick sports update and then our NBA playoff predictions. All right, let's get started. First off, we're going to talk about the college football season getting postponed in the Big Ten and Pac-12. The Big Ten and Pac-12 both canceled fall seasons hoping to play in the spring. The Big Ten had an internal vote, and by a 12-2 margin, the league members opted to not have a football season. The SEC, ACC, and Big 12 all plan on playing football this season. Do you guys think the NCAA will be able to crown a championship without two of the Power Five conferences playing? Well, I think this is a problem for college football because the two of the Big Five conferences are two of the conferences that have top 10 teams every single year. Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon was good last year with Justin Herbert. So, I mean, I just don't feel like you can crown a legit champion with, with not all of the teams being involved. And what I think the NCAA might result to this year is just having champions in individual conferences. Like there will be an SEC champion in the fall and a Big Ten championship in the spring and a uh, Pac-12 championship in the spring. And I just think that they're going to have to split it up. There will be an ACC championship in the fall if they decide to play right now. That is probably what they're going to have to do. And um, if that doesn't work out and they can find a way to get a college football playoff and maybe potentially bowl games in the spring, if they can, I think that would be nice. I'm going to have to agree with Tyler here. I think it's going to be very difficult for the NCAA to crown a champion with so many different leagues that are opting out. So I, I, I like Tyler's idea that he said the NCAA might resort to having just different respective champions in each different league. Um, like the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12. So I really like that idea coming from Tyler, and I think that's something the NCAA should resort to if they have to. I, I'm going to have to agree with Dean and Tyler. It's going to be hard to crown like an official champion because so many powerhouse teams are going to be left out of those bowl games and playoffs. So I just don't think it's going to be possible to crown a legitimate champion. And also the conferences that are opting to play their season it's unknown if those are if those seasons are even going to work out or if midway through the season they're going to have to shut down. So it, it'll be interesting to see if they can make it work or not. I'm going to add to this uh, subject one more time. I think that with the couple NCAA conferences postponing the spring while others happening in the fall, I think that that conflicts with the NFL season, which is going on as planned. It's starting this September, and they're planning on having a normal season with the Super Bowl in February and the draft planning on being in April. So if the NCAA, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are planning on playing in the spring in March and April, I think that really does conflict with what the NFL is trying to do. And I, I feel like players might have to opt out. Players like Trevor Lawrence, if uh, ACC ends up playing in the spring, and Justin Fields. So we'll see what happens, but... It's not a good sign for football. Now we'll move to Tyler, who is going to talk about a young star in the making on the Padres. Tyler? Yes, there's a very promising young baseball player named Fernando Tatis Jr. He's currently playing for the San Diego Padres. He has the most home runs in the National League with eight, and that is tied with Mike Trout for the second most in the MLB, which is behind Aaron Judge's nine. Um, he's a 316 batting average, which is tied for 19th best in the MLB, 18 RBIs, which is tied for third, 24 hits, which is tied for seven, five stolen bases, which is tied for first, with a uh, fellow Padre, Tommy Pham, and a couple other players. Something else to add about Fernando Tatis is that earlier this week, baseball insider Jeff Passan wrote an ESPN cover story about Tatis and his relationship with baseball growing up. And in the article, 
Passon said that Tatis is going to be a big part of the future of baseball. And for context about that article, the headline of the story was called Fernando Tatis Jr. is bringing joy back to baseball. So as you can tell, people like Jeff Passon are really excited about Fernando Tatis's future. And he's a very promising player. And I wouldn't be surprised if he consistently makes all-star games down the road. Uh, now we're going to move to Camu, who's going to talk about the Spurs. So today, after the Grizzlies' victory, the Spurs officially missed the playoffs. And this is the first time they've missed the playoffs in 22 seasons. The first time they made the playoffs to start this 22-year streak was when Tim Duncan was a rookie, Kobe Bryant became the youngest all-star ever, and the Bulls won their third straight title. Pretty incredible. Uh, Do you guys think the Spurs are going to be a playoff team in the years to come? I think the Spurs definitely have a decent young core. They've got uh, Derek White, DeJounte Murray. They are playing well in the bubble. Obviously, DeMar DeRozan is an all-star. LaMarcus Aldridge is an all-star. But I think that they might need to develop their young pieces a little more and maybe get some better role players to help them make the playoffs because the West is getting very competitive, especially with teams like the Grizzlies and the Pelicans coming up with guys like John Morant and Zion Williamson. So I definitely think they have a chance, but I think they need to add a few more pieces. I'm going to slightly disagree with Andrew. I think the Spurs really need to hit on their draft picks, uh, especially this one in the upcoming draft. They should have uh, the 10 to like the 14th pick in the draft. And I think the Spurs really need to hit the rebuild button and the reset button because DeMar DeRozan and especially LaMarcus Aldridge are getting up there in age. And LaMarcus Aldridge just had to go through surgery, which is why he didn't play in the bubble. And that could be a huge setback for the Spurs team as he's their second best player this past season. So he's also uh, going to start regressing. Obviously, that comes with age. And I don't think DeMar DeRozan uh, is going to be the guy who's going to be able to lead the Spurs team into the playoffs in years to come. I mean, he has a player option this upcoming offseason, which he'll probably opt into because he won't make as much money on another team. So I think it'll be uh, DeMar DeRozan's last year in San Antonio. So I think the Spurs definitely need to hit on their draft picks, maybe get a good wing or a good big, as they don't have many good reliable bigs. And yeah, I I think the Spurs really need to hit that reset button. I got to disagree with you uh, here, Dean. Um, I feel like Coach Greg Popovich is always a win-now kind of person. The Spurs have never been the team where you're just going to go out and rebuild. They're always trying to win. So they're going to have, like you said, they're most likely going to have DeMar DeRozan on their roster, LaMarcus Aldridge probably too. And I feel like if you have two good players on your team surrounded with players like – Derek White and DeJounte Murray, I feel like that could potentially be a seven or eight seed in the playoffs. And I think that if Greg Popovich can coach these players well, I think they can get to the playoffs. And like you said, they have a lot, they will most likely have a lottery pick this year in the 10 to 14 range. So if they can hit right there and get a good player to help them, I think that they could be a potential playoff team this year. Um, I see what you're saying there. But the thing is, LaMarcus Aldridge just had probably the biggest injury of his entire career and he's getting up there in age and you don't think that's going to be a huge setback for him and that Spurs team I know Greg Popovich is always in win now mode but he's getting up there in age too I mean he might retire in a few years uh, if the Spurs team isn't very successful so I I don't think that Greg Popovich has much to do with it there's not much you can do with uh, the Spurs roster because the West is now super competitive as Andrew mentioned so I don't think the Spurs really have a good chance Uh, to be a playoff team, so I think they should start rebuilding right now. I see what you're saying there. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is 35 years of age, so it would make sense to maybe start over, maybe get a couple young pieces and get into a restart, but I don't don't know if they'll do that with a great coach like that. 
All right, now we're going to move to Campbell, who has some golf news from the past weekend. Campbell? So this past weekend was the PGA Championship, and 23-year-old Colin Morikawa came out on top after shooting 65 and 64 on Saturday and Sunday to win the tournament by just two strokes. On Sunday, Morikawa posted a bogeyless round, including four birdies and an incredible eagle on hole 16. I know Andrew and Dean aren't big golf people, but I know Tyler was watching that shot. What were you thinking when you saw Morikawa take driver off that tee and hit the green and then make that putt after to get an eagle? I mean, that was just honestly, it was incredible. Like a young player like that, he's high, he's pretty highly ranked in the world, but he's not too known yet. Like players like Justin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, players like that. But to see that, I think that that shot will bring a lot of attention to him, make him popular. Great shot by him. Incredible eagle putt, too. And that drive, I mean, you just see you see him hit it. You're like, okay, it'll be a pretty good shot. He's a golf pro. And then you see where it lands, and he's just like, okay, yeah, he's really golf pro. So, like, pretty crazy shot from him. So, after the tournament, a lot of the tour pros were saying that Morikawa was going to be the future. And they've been saying this even before his victory. So we'll see if he can put together a few more major victories. And it's pretty crazy that at 23, he already has more major victories than Ricky Fowler, just as many major victories as Dustin Johnson. So we'll see. I think he'll have a bright future. So that'll be fun to watch for the years to come. Yeah, that is definitely a great accomplishment for Colin Morikawa. Now we're going to move to Dean, who's going to be talking about the all-seeding games team and the MVP of the bubble so far. So this past week, the NBA announced there will be a seeding games MVP and an all-seeding games team. So similar to the three all-NBA teams that are announced uh, after every season, the NBA announced that there will be an all-seeding games team, which will feature five of the best players that have performed in the seeding games during this bubble. And the candidates to either be a seeding games MVP or a member of the all-seeding games team are players like Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, TJ Warren, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, and James Harden. Guys, who do you think is going to take home the bubble MVP? I think it's going to be a close race. Devin Booker led his the Suns to an 8-0 seeding um, record, which was incredible. But sadly, he was not able to lead his team to a play-in spot. The Blazers just beat the Nets, clinching the eight seed and giving the Grizzlies the nine seed, and they will play in the playing game. I think Devin Booker's one good case. TJ Warren's another. I mean, we saw he went off for 50, 30-30. Um, and then Damian Lillard, who put up 60 points and, like we just said, led his team to that eight seed playing spot. So, personally, I think it's going to go to Damian Lillard for just the stats he's put up, but I think it's a close race. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Tyler. I think the two standout players for me are Devin Booker and Damian Lillard. What Devin Booker was able to do, lead the Suns to 8-0 and kind of carry that team. Although they didn't make the playoffs, uh, they still had a great, he still had a great uh, bubble games. But I'm going to have to go with Damian Lillard as my seeding games MVP just because in his last three games, he had 154 points combined. And, you know, he's pulling up from half court, carrying the Blazers into the playoffs. And, you know, they have a real chance to upset the Lakers. So I got to go with Damian Lillard as my seeding as MVP. Uh, well, I'm going to agree with you two that it's definitely between Devin Booker and Damian Lillard. But I'm going to go the other way and say Devin Booker is my bubble MVP because – I think we could all agree, and the stats show, Devin Booker really did everything he could for the Suns, leading them to an NBA bubble best 8-0 record. It's not his fault they didn't make the playoffs. It was really up to how the other teams played, such as the Grizzlies or the, um, 
for the Trailblazers. So Devin Booker was incredible. I think we can all agree on that. He single-handedly brought the um, Suns to eight wins, and they had so many close games in which he always came up clutch. Night in, night out, he was always making the big shot, always taking the big shot, and I think he's the bubble MVP. It's his fifth or fourth season in the league. He, he's such a young player with such a bright future. I think you got to give it to him. I'm going to agree with uh, Andrew and Tyler right here on the Damian Lillard pick. I, I agree that it, was, it should be between Damian Lillard and Devin Booker, but at the end of the day, you can't really give the MVP to someone who isn't in the playoffs. Obviously, it's not Devin Booker's fault that the Suns aren't in the playoffs right now, but you're never going to see the NBA give the real MVP award to a player who isn't playing in the playoffs. Like That's just not how it works. You have to be the best player, the most valuable player, on a winning team that's in the playoffs, at least. So that's why I'm going to have to give it to Damian Lillard here. But as you said, it's not for the playoffs. It's just for the seeding games. If you're giving it to the most valuable player, to a winning team, when, when I think of that in the bubble, I think of Devin Booker. He was the most valuable player to his team, and they went 8-0. Obviously, I think Damian Lillard and Devin Booker both have really good arguments, but it could go either way. All right, now we're going to move on and talk about some injury updates in the NBA bubble currently. We'll go to Dean first, who is going to talk about Russell Westbrook. So it was just announced that Russell Westbrook is dealing with a right quad injury, and he is expected to miss the Rockets' entire first-round matchup versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. And my question for you all about this injury is that, do you think the Rockets will still be able to beat the Thunder in the first round without Westbrook? I still think they can, but I think it's going to be much harder for the Rockets. Uh, I think that Russell Westbrook is a huge part of the Rockets' success, obviously, alongside James Harden. But Russell Westbrook, his energy and intensity is unmatched, and he is a great defender too, which helps with the Rockets' small ball lineup. I think now the Thunder have a greater chance to win this series. I think the, this series will go to six or seven games, but we'll, we'll talk about it more a little bit later. But I do think this definitely impacts the series for the Rockets. Like I said in our first episode of this podcast, um, in the most impactful players heading in the NBA bubble, I talked about Russell Westbrook, his intensity, his never give up mentality, the mama mentality. And I think that would, I personally thought that would be really important to the Rockets in this playoffs, because as we saw last year, they weren't able to get past the second round. Um, And it's basically the same team as last year because Chris Paul was hurt last year and they don't have Clint Capella this year. Instead, they have Robert Covington. But um, I think that it's going to be a lot tougher for them to win the series. Now James Harden's going to really have to carry this team now. I think that the Thunder are a good team overall, and they have a pretty good chance to beat this Rockets team. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you, Andrew and Tyler, on this one. I think it's going to be really hard for the Rockets to be able to beat the Thunder in the first round with their loss of Russell Westbrook. I mean, look who's starting now at the starting point guard for the Houston Rockets. It's Chris Clemens. That is absolutely horrible. Like, how are the Rockets going to be able to win a series with five foot nine point guard Chris Clemens as their starter? I mean, I mean they might put an Austin Rivers there because Austin I mean, Rivers. Can... I mean, Austin Rivers isn't classified as a point guard. He's more of a shooting guard. He's a combo guard. But Chris Clemens is their second true point guard, which is kind of sad. So I do think it's going to be he's going to be a huge liability on the floor as he's very bad at defense. He's one of the worst defenders in the NBA statistically. So I think it's going to be very hard for the Rockets to beat the Thunder. All right, now we'll move to Tyler, who's going to talk about the 76ers star players, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and their injury problems. 76ers all-star point guard Ben Simmons reportedly underwent surgery in Philadelphia. He left the Orlando bubble to remove a loose body from his left knee, which ended his season. 
and additionally another all-star on the 76ers team, Joel Embiid is dealing with a left ankle injury and a right hand injury, but he's ex- expected to play through it in the upcoming first round series against the Celtics, which means that he will most likely not be 100%, but will still play. And my question for you guys is, after this season, should the Sixers consider breaking up their big dynamic duo in Simmons and Embiid? I think the Sixers should definitely consider breaking up Simmons and Embiid just because they've had trouble playing with each other on the floor. And if they were to try to get rid of one of them and break them up, the most value they would get would be trading either Embiid or Simmons for other role players or other guys that can fit their scheme. Because with Ben Simmons' inability to stretch the floor and shoot the ball, he clogs up the paint for Joel Embiid. And obviously, they haven't been able to make it to the finals. They got bounced out in the Eastern Conference semifinals last year against the Raptors. And this year, with Ben Simmons out and Joel Embiid not 100%, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to make a deep run to the playoffs. So I think they should definitely consider breaking them up. I'm going to have to semi-agree with you there, Andrew. It was It's super unfortunate that the Sixers' two best players and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid uh, both got injured in the bubble because this was the year they were going to see whether or not they should break the two up. So I think the Sixers definitely should look into trading Ben Simmons over Joel Embiid, maybe trading Ben Simmons for a top pick in the draft either this season or maybe next season. You could get someone like a LaMelo Ball this season if you traded uh, Ben Simmons to whatever team could take him. Or you could wait till next season where there's a stronger draft class and get someone like a Cade Cunningham who has a super high potential. So I do think they should look into this either this season if they can get LaMelo or next season if they have a good chance of getting Cade Cunningham. I don't think they should consider trading one of their stars. I think they need to trade one of their stars. I think as Dean, I agree with Dean. I think they should get rid of Ben Simmons. In the few 76ers games I've watched this year, Ben Simmons, when he's not uh, with the ball, He's one of the most awkward players on the court. He goes and sits in the corner and is not a threat at all from there. He can't shoot, like, unless he's in, like, the screen and roll. When Joel Embiid is, like, in the post with the ball, Ben Simmons just awkwardly stands on the perimeter doing nothing. He's not a shooting threat. He's not a threat with the ball. Those Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons just aren't meshing together. It's not working. I think the 76ers do have a good core, but they need to capitalize now before it's too late. And Al Horford's already out of his prime, but he's going to take another drop off and he's going to get even worse. So they need to capitalize now. I like what you guys are saying. I think it could be smart to consider trading them. I don't know if it would be the smartest thing to do if um, they don't get a good enough offer. Like, I don't know if it's too smart to trade a top 20 talent in Ben Simmons to, to get a top five draft pick. Like, I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do because drafts are pretty unpredictable. I mean, players, you could be, you could get an Anthony Bennett or you could get a Ben Simmons. Like you never know. You could get an Anthony Davis in a player. So you don't know how good a player is going to be like. So I feel like if you already have an established young talent who, yes, he's a little injury prone, who's a good player, who's definitely going to try to get better. And I think if Ben Simmons can get a shot, he can be, a top three point guard in the league. He's probably a top five now, but if he can establish a shot, he can be a top three. And I don't think you should trade Joe Allen Embiid. He's the cornerstone of their their franchise. Um, he's a top three center in the NBA in my perspective. So it's not worth trading him, but if they can get a good offer for Ben Simmons, I think they can consider it. I do sort of agree with you, Tyler, where you said that it's not smart to trade him just for a top draft pick, but obviously they wouldn't just be receiving one draft pick, which is in the top five. They'd obviously be receiving a lot of other draft capita. 
And going to your Anthony Bennett comment, it's not Anthony Bennett's fault. He was the number one overall pick. I don't know if you remember in that draft or have heard about it, but there were like 20 different prospects that were projected to go number one, and it just happened to be Anthony Bennett. And it was unfortunate because he was a really bad player. But there's not really much of a chance that a player like either LaMelo Ball or Cade Cunningham, who actually has raw talent, to be a huge bust such as Anthony Bennett. All I'm saying is that when you have an established talent like Ben Simmons, who's an all-star, it might not be worth it to trade for a top draft pick alone because you could get it. Like, obviously, Anthony Bennett was highly, he was high, he was praised going into the draft. That's why he was the number one pick. But he ended up not being good in the NBA. So, like, yes, all I'm saying is that you can't, you can have busts like that. And it's a little risky to trade a good player like that who's already established for a player that is coming out of college or high school or whatever. But what other offer would you get other than a really good draft pick? It's not like someone's going to throw their best player in for Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? I, I would get it if they brought like a young player for Ben, like a young player and a top draft pick for Ben Simmons. But I wouldn't just trade Ben Simmons for one draft pick. It just wouldn't make sense to me. I know, I know. But this is the last thing I'm saying before we go to Andrew. I clearly remember saying right after I responded to your first comment, I said they obviously wouldn't just be getting one draft pick in return for Ben Simmons. They'd obviously be getting a lot more and maybe one or two more players. You guys both definitely bring up really good points. Now we're going to move to our NBA playoffs predictions. So we're going to go around and we're going to talk about each first round series, including the Western Conference playing for the eighth seed. And everyone say who you think is winning and how many games series will go to. So I'll start with the play-in. The play-in is going to be the Grizzlies versus the Blazers. Blazers at the eighth seed, Grizzlies at the ninth seed. I personally think the Blazers are going to win in the first game. I think that Dame has been playing unreal lately and the Grizzlies just don't have the playoff experience. So I think that the Blazers easily run away with this win. You know what? I'm going to agree with you on this one. I think that the Grizzlies, if they can get lucky, they can maybe get a first win, but I don't think they can win two in a row against the Blazers. I mean, that's a really tough task coming in from a really good Damian Lillard, um, Yusuf Nurkic, CJ McCollum, and a newly thin and good Carmelo Anthony. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with both of you. I don't think the Grizzlies have much of a chance versus the fiery hot trailblazers the trailblazers are taking this one in the first game for sure yeah i'm gonna keep it brief the blazers are winning this one in the first game okay so since we all said the blazers are gonna win this plan to be the eighth seed for the western conference matchup one seed versus eighth seed lakers versus blazers who do you guys have winning the series we'll start with uh udine and how many games is the series going to um i think this is a really interesting matchup as the blazers are like I said, fiery hot right now. I think the series can go from either 4-1 or 4-2, so I think that's going to be in the span, but the Lakers are going to win on either five or six games. Um, I'll go second. I'm going to agree with Dean. The Lakers, I think, are going to win this series in five games, 4-1. to one. I think the Lakers are going to overpower the Blazers. The Blazers aren't too strong on the defensive end. Um, the Lakers, as we all know, have two of the best five players in the NBA, and the Blazers, I think, might steal one or two games with Damian Lillard continuing his hot streak, but I think the Lakers will win this game, this series in five games. I think the Lakers will win the series in six games. I think that playoff LeBron is just a different being. I mean, it's crazy. AD, I don't know if anyone on that team can guard him. I think that it's a tough task for Hassan Whiteside, Yusuf Nurkic to guard him. Maybe they can get it done one or two games in uh hold the Lakers to maybe and get to a six-game series, but I think the Lakers are taking this one. Okay, well, I'm going to agree with you there, Tyler. I have the Lakers winning this series in six games. I think that 
Damian Lillard and TJ McCollum, they've been good in the playoffs recently. And I think that the Lakers, you know, they're missing Avery Bradley. They're going to have trouble guarding those two. Those two can pop off for 40 points. You know, Dame scored 61 the other night. But I think that LeBron and Anthony Davis will just be able to overpower them and win the series in six. Next, we have the two-seed Clippers versus the seven-seeded Mavericks. Tyler, we will start with you. Who's winning? So I'm going to go the same amount of games as last series. I think the Clippers win this one in six games. In the regular season, the Mavs were not able to beat the Clippers. They lost to them in the bubble, too. So um, I think that this is a tough series for a top-10 player in Luka Doncic with two great defensive players in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who are also top-10 players. And, um, yeah, so I think that if Luka can put up 20 to 30 a game, they can maybe steal one or two games from the Clippers. But I think it's a tough task. I'm going to agree with Tyler here. I think the Clippers will get it done in six games. Obviously, I, I really like Luka's game, and I do think he's, um, he's going to be able to lead the Mavericks to win two games on the Clippers. Uh, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I think the Clippers are also going to win the series in six games. I think the Mavericks are going to be able to steal two games through good shooting performances, but I think, I think the Clippers will pretty handily win this series. I agree with you guys that the Clippers will be winning, but I have them winning in five games. I just think that the Clippers roster, they're too deep, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in the playoffs are just unmatched. The Mavericks have no one to guard those two, and plus getting Montrezl Harrell back and now Lou Williams back, uh, I think that this definitely gives the Clippers a really good chance, and I have them winning in five games. Now move to the three-seeded Nuggets versus the six-seeded Jazz. I'll start off with this one. I have the Nuggets winning the series in seven games. I think that uh, both teams have young Stars, Donovan Mitchell and Nikola Jokic, but I think the Nuggets will be able to edge it out. Dean, who do you have winning the series? I'm going to also agree with Andrew. I have Nuggets in seven. They're the higher seed, and uh, I, I think that the combo Jamal Murray and Jokic is a better combo overall than the Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So I'm going to say the Nuggets are going to win the series. I think they're going to win in six games. They are getting back Will Barton and Gary Harris, two starters that are very important to their team. They have Michael Porter Jr., Bull Bull, Mason Plumley, and a couple others. So I think that they are going to win the series over Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, and the Utah Jazz. Uh, I'm going to agree with all three of you. I think the Nuggets are going to win this series in uh, seven games. I'm excited to see uh, the matchups between Rudy Gobert and Nikola Jokic. That's going to be a lot of fun. So hopefully seven games of action. All right, now let's move to a series we talked briefly about earlier, the four-seeded Nuggets versus the five-seeded Thunder. Dean, we'll start with you on this one. I'm actually going to have an upset alert for this series. I'm going to have the Oklahoma City Thunder taking down the Houston Rockets. The only reason I have the Houston Rockets losing to the Thunder is because of the Russell Westbrook injury. I don't think Chris Clemens is going to be able to fill that role, and, and Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, two very good guards in the NBA, will just overpower him and Harden. I'm going to agree with you here, Dean. I think that the Thunder will win this series in six or seven games. Not too sure about that. But I think that the loss of Russell Westbrook for multiple games in this first round is going to be bad for the Rockets, obviously. And I don't know if Austin Rivers, Chris Clemens, I don't know if their small ball lineup will be the same. James Harden will be able to carry that load against Chris Paul, Shea Gilles, Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams. And I think that's a tough matchup. And, um, you said it's an upset, but technically the Thunder are the four seed, the Rockets are the five seed, so you never know. I'm going to have to disagree with you guys, and I'm going to say the Rockets are going to win this series in six or seven games, depending on how many games Russell Westbrook misses. I trust James Harden in the playoffs. He's shown up 
but he hasn't been able to take his team to the finals. And I think this is the year he's going to make the breakthrough. I think even without Russell Westbrook for a few games this this series, James Harden is still going to be able to carry the uh, Rockets for a few games while he misses out on his other star. I agree with Campbell. I have the Rockets winning the series in seven games. Even with the absence of Russell Westbrook, I think James Harden is the best player on the floor. He he can control the pace of the game, and he can drop 50 any night. So I got the Rockets winning in seven, although it will be a close game. Chris Paul and the Thunder have had a great season. Now we're going to move to the Eastern Conference. We'll go to the one-seeded Bucks versus the eight-seeded Magic. I'll start with this one. Um, I think this is going to be a very quick series, a 4-0 sweep by the Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's probably going to be a back-to-back MVP. He's playing really well right now. The Magic don't have anyone to guard him. The Bucks are just deeper, and they're just a better team. Um, I'm going to agree with Andrew. 4-0 sweep, enough said. Magic don't have anything on the Bucks. They're missing their best defender, maybe their best player in Jonathan Isaac. So I don't think they're going to have one chance to beat the Bucks in one game. I'm going to agree with you guys on this one. It's a 4-0 sweep for the Bucks for uh, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and the Lopez brothers. Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys. I don't think the Magic will come within 15 points of beating the Bucks in any game this series. So, yeah, I got the Bucks in four. Now we're going to move on to the two-seeded Raptors versus the seven-seeded Nets. Tyler, you want to start with this one? I will start with this one. I think that it's going to be a 4-1 um, Raptors win. I think that the Nets, with Karis LeVert, who's been playing pretty well lately, um, are maybe going to be able to steal one. I think that it could potentially be a sweep, but I'm going to say 4-1 Raptors in this series. Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry are going to be too much. I'm going to say it's going to be 4-0 for the Raptors. I don't think the Nets have anyone to defend Pascal Siakam other than Jarrett Allen and that let alone who's going to guard Serge Ibaka or Marcus Gasol. Okay, so I'm going to agree with Dean on this one. I think the Raptors are going to win this series in four. The Nets just don't have the assets to solve. Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet. The Raptors just have such a deep roster. I'm going to agree with all of you guys. I think it's a 4-0 sweep for the Raptors. Although Karis LeVert, you know, shout out University of Michigan graduate. Um, I think Karis LeVert is definitely a really good up-and-coming player. Pro- maybe an all-star in the future. He's playing really good right now. But the Raptors are uh, just a much deeper team. They have way more playoff experience than the Nets. Now we're going to move on to the matchup between the three-seeded Celtics and the six-seed Philadelphia 76ers. We will start with Dean on this one. Um, With the Sixers uh, out with their two best players, Joel Embiid is going to play this series, but Ben Simmons is out for the rest of the season. I have the Celtics winning 4-1, a pretty convincing gentleman sweep for the uh, Boston Celtics. I don't think there's much chance for the 76ers. Um, I'm going to agree with Dean on the fact that the Celtics are going to win this series. I think they're going to win the series four games to two. You know, I think the 76ers might have a game where they have a good shooting performance. I think they'll sneak away with two victories. Celtics might get a little bit lazy at the end of the series but I think it'll be a pretty dominating series for the Celtics. Um, I'm going to agree with you, too. I think the Celtics win the series. I think it's either 4-1 to one or 4-2. to two. All, I just think the Celtics are going to get it done. Um, the Sixers are a good defensive team, so I think that they can hold the Celtics maybe to under 100 points in one or two games to maybe get a win. But I think that the Celtics will get a convincing win here. I'm going to agree with all you guys. I think the Celtics will be winning the series. I'm going to say that it goes to six games, 4-2 Celtics. And the reason why I think that is because Joel Embiid, right now, he's planning on playing the series, and I don't think the Celtics have anyone to guard Joel Embiid. However, that is only one player, so I don't think he can single-handedly win them the series. So I have the Celtics winning that series 4-2. All right, now we're going to move on to a very anticipated and heated matchup between the four-seeded Miami Heat and the the five-seeded Indiana Pacers. I will start this one off. 
I have the Heat winning this series in six games just because I think they have they're one of the deepest teams in the NBA. They have great shooting. They shoot the three ball really well. They got guys like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, who are great shooters. They also have great defenders, guys like Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, who's their closer, Andre Iguodala, Jake Crowder, Myers Leonard. These guys are really solid role players. They're a very deep team. Jimmy Butler, he's a closer. He knows how to win in the playoffs. I think that the TJ, TJ Warren, if he's healthy, and Victor Oladipo can give the Miami Heat a few problems, but I got the Heat coming out on top 4-2. So I'm going to agree with you, Andrew. I think the Heat are taking this one 4-2. DeMontis Sabonis' absence will definitely affect the Pacers here, which is why I'm going to go with the Heat 4-2. That's just one less person for Bam Adebayo. The Heat's probably second-best defender to guard, so I think the Heat are going to win this in six. I think the Heat are going to win the series in five games. I think that TJ Warren is not fully healthy. He obtained an injury in the last couple of games. He was playing through – still put up a lot of points, though um, – Demontis Sabonis, like we said before, is not playing. Victor Oladipo is not fully healthy either. And in the last couple games of the seeding games, the Heat beat the Pacers handedly too. So I think that this should be a good series for the Heat, and they will be able to advance to the second round pretty easily. Okay, so I'm going to say the Heat are going to win this series in six games. As I said in the last podcast, I think the Heat have the deepest team in the NBA. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go check it out. You know, they have they have a lot of good role players, a lot of good bench players. I don't think the Pacers with all their injuries this season, they're not they're not at the same level as the Heat. So I think the Heat will dominantly win the series four to two. All right, now we're gonna move on to our twenty four second shot clock segment. So George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are now the two highest paid tight ends in the NFL. Kittle just received a five-year, $75 million extension with the 49ers, making him the highest paid tight end in the history of the NFL. Kelsey got his extension a couple hours later, actually, reaching a four-year, $57 million extension with the Chiefs. The shot clock question for today is, which tight end would you rather have on your team, Travis Kelsey or George Kittle? Tyler, you will start us off. 24 seconds on the clock. Ready? Begin. As we know, these are the two best tight ends in the NFL, but I would rather have George Kittle on my team because, in my perspective, he's a better all-around tight end. He's going to get paid $15 million to basically be an offensive lineman, and then, in addition, he's going to have 100 receptions for 1,000 yards. So I think that he's a really good offensive lineman and uh, tight end, and Travis Kelsey might have better hands, but George Kittle still has really good hands, too. Now we're going to go to Dean. Dean, 24 seconds on the clock. Ready? Begin. I'm also going to agree with Tyler on this one. I do believe that George Kittle is uh, the more consistent and more well-rounded tight end than Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey has better hands than George Kittle. I can confidently say that. But George Kittle is literally one of the one of the best blocking tight ends I've seen. I know I haven't seen much, but I would take George Kittle's blocking over Travis Kelsey's hands as they aren't much different to George Kittle's hands. So that's why I'm going with George Kittle. All right, next we have Campbell. Campbell, 24 seconds on the clock. Ready? Begin. I'm going to have to agree with Dean and Tyler. I'm going to choose George Kittle to be my tight end for my team. George Kittle is a better all-around player, as both of them just said. And also, George Kittle is four years younger than Travis Kelsey. He had a better season last year. He's entering his prime. Travis Kelsey's exiting his. I'd rather have George Kittle on my team. Campbell, that was definitely a very good point. Dean will time me now. So, Dean, I'm ready when you are. Okay, Andrew, you have 24 seconds on the clock starting now. 
I'm taking Travis Kelsey over George Kittle, unlike all you guys. Travis Kelsey is a much better receiving tight end. He has better hands. He scored double the touchdowns this past year, 700 more receiving yards, about 70 more receptions. He's like another wide receiver on the team. He's more valuable to a, to his team than George Kittle is. He is still a very good run blocker. Although he's not as good as Travis Kelsey, he's still very good, and he can create huge mismatches, especially in the red zone. So I'm taking Kelsey over Kittle. Andrew, I can respect that choice. I mean, I had Travis Kelsey on my fantasy team last season. He was very nice for me, so I can definitely respect that choice. But, Andrew, the thing you have to remember about this is that Travis Kelsey plays in much more of a passing offense than the, uh, than the 49ers do. The, the 49ers playing a majority running offense, and George Kittle is just like another offensive lineman to him, and he's still a good receiver too. So I would say George Kittle's um, blocking is better is, and is more valuable than – Travis Kelsey's passing, in my perspective. That is definitely a good point. The only reason why I took Kelsey over Kittle is just because I think that Kelsey can create more mismatches than than George Kittle, especially on a team with Nicole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, and Tyree Kill, plus with Patrick Mahomes and Clyde Edwards-Elair at running back. Travis Kelsey is being guarded by someone significantly worse than him. He can get open really easily. He has such good hands, and I just think that he's more productive for the Chiefs than than George Kittle is for the 49ers, although they are undisputably the two best tight ends in the NFL. And that'll do it for today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at ATBuzzerPodcast and the platform you're listening on today. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for next week's episode. Along with Campbell Klein, Dean McCollum, and Tyler Fertel, I'm Andrew Loveliner, signing off for now. See you next week.